Well, welcome to RUF on this cold, cold night. Like this is actually the coldest night that we've had at RUF. I walk over every night from the parking deck and this one got the coldest. So glad you're here. RUF is for Christians and non-Christians. We're here to help you figure out what it means to follow Jesus while you're on campus. And we do that from God's word. I mean, we believe that the only place where you can go to really know for sure who God is, how he calls us to love him, to obey him, is in the Bible. So we have something rock solid here. It's better than experience. It's better than what your friend said. It's better than the memory you have from summer camp. All those things are good. This thing is rock solid, God's word. So I'm excited to go here tonight with you. Um, my name is Willis. I'm the campus minister. Most of you know, if we haven't met yet, would love to meet you. Say hi to me afterward. Um, I, I kind of wish that I was playing assassins so that you would have a chance to assassinate me and I'd have a chance to assassinate you, but it's not going to happen. Maybe next year that can happen. The one thing I want you to know about me, though, is that I'm not a good person. But Jesus loves me. And he loves you. And that changes everything. It means something really good is coming. Tonight we're going to look at what is this good thing that's coming. So let's see. Let's read the passage. Uh, it's on the screen behind me. You can follow along. Let me pull it up here. Um, if I can figure out how to work my phone. All right. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. and The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall be, there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, north three gates, south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. 
He also measured its wall 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Interesting note. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear gas, like clear, <laughs> like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, second sapphire, third agate, fourth emerald, fifth onyx, sixth carnelian, seventh chrysolite, eighth beryl, ninth topaz, tenth chrysophrase, eleventh jacinth, twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass." And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, only those whose name, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. That is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, that's a long passage. That's a lot of details and things. And Jesus, we just ask that you would help us to see you like never before, help us to see our future, ourselves like never before, through your word, by your Holy Spirit. Lord, elevate uh, my feeble words, draw a straight line with a crooked stick, help us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so tonight, if you didn't know, we're talking about heaven, and we know that we're supposed to be all excited about heaven, but if we're honest, we have hesitations about heaven. Okay, so our hesitations with heaven, uh, one thing, it, it sounds kind of boring, Right, so we we have this image in our head of like something kind of elevated, floating around, a little bit ethereal, fuzzy, warm light. Maybe it's kind of sepia toned, and maybe we're angels. We have wings. We sit around worshiping, and kind of hanging out, and it just sounds a little, if you're like me, boring. And I'm just going to tag this here at the beginning. We got some other hesitations to look at before we even get into it. But at the beginning, what we're thinking of is not what actually happens when Jesus comes back. What we're thinking of is heaven, the intermediate state of what we're doing, what we're experiencing after we die, before Jesus comes back. So that's like this little phase, but we're going to talk about what happens after Jesus comes back, like eternity, eternal life, which is something different. So get excited. So uh, just put a pin in that for now. Other hesitations we have with heaven. Life after death sounds kind of far off right? It's like, okay, I'm kind of focused on my own life right now, uh, getting my education, getting a job, getting married. You know, these things are kind of at the forefront of my mind. I get that. Um, right now, I'm a dad. I'm trying to, like, raise my kids, right? Like, that's very much in the forefront of my mind. I just want you to note, like, if we could actually get a glimpse of what the new earth is going to be like, what life's going to be like, the fact that it's so far off, I mean, we don't know when we're going to die, right? But it might be a long time. Even if it's so far off, it actually has life-transforming power because it's something we can look forward to and like live our lives in light of the entire time, right? So it's actually like not an argument against like thinking a lot about heaven. Okay, it can also feel like escapism to like focus on heaven. Like, shouldn't we be focused on this life? Doesn't God tell us to like obey Him and do stuff in this life? I don't really want to think about heaven. Like that'll happen at the end, whatever. Um, actually, if we wrap our minds around what the new earth is going to be. 
it's going to change the way we live this life. It's going to help us actually live this life the way we were meant to and take this life seriously. A fear of the unknown. Some of us are just like, I just don't really know what it's going to be like. And that's reality because even the Bible doesn't tell us like everything is going to be like. We don't know. And some of us are afraid of that. And I get that. And we're going to address some of that tonight. So we're going to dig into all of that, all of these. And I hope that my goal is that as we dig into all of these and see what this passage has for us, we would actually get this vision of the new earth that would just like be a burning desire in our hearts that would give us hope in hard times and help us to live this life as Jesus calls us to. So that's where we're going. What is new about the life we inherit? That's our big question. What's new about the life we inherit? Where are we going to go tonight? New playground, new you, new life. New playground, new you, new life. So let's just start. Uh, first point, the new playground. Uh, what is the new playground? It's this earth purified and healed. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Well, there's not enough time. We'll talk about the sea thing when you come and ask me about it later. But right now, put the sea thing on pause for a second. Focus on the new earth. We have to read this verse that talks about the new earth in the context of verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Okay, he didn't say, I'm making all new things, right? He said, I'm making all things, the things that exist, I'm making them new. The things I already made, I'm renewing them. So this is actually really good news. God takes this world, the planet we live on, and he's going to renew it. He's going to heal it. He's going to make it new. And this actually lines perfectly up with the rest of the Bible. So when God created the world, Genesis 1, he looks at everything he made and he's like, this is awesome. This is good. I love it. Every single thing he makes, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. He loved it. And even after our rebellion, human rebellion broke the world, and it's still breaking the world, like we still mess up this, this land that we live in, even after that fact, God made promises to, as he saves people, to save the earth, to save the land. Look at this, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Because he loves it. He cares about it. Jesus will be the fulfillment of God's purpose to heal his land, heal the world when he returns. You can see this. 1 Thessalonians 4, Matthew 24, Luke 21, all over the Bible. These all talk about Jesus coming back, coming back to his world. Uh, even Revelation 22, 12, we'll look at it next week, says, Behold, I am coming soon. He's coming back to this world. So if you didn't know this, the Bible says Jesus, his physical self, is going to physically come back to this physical world, and this is where the new earth is going to be. This is where eternal life with God is going to happen. For me, that sounds way better than some like fuzzy in the clouds something. So let's imagine what the world itself is going to be like after Jesus comes back. What's it going to be like? He tells us it's a new earth. Let's imagine. What might that be like? Okay, so imagine no more giant trash islands in the Pacific Ocean. Imagine every mountaintop removed by coal mining replaced. So Kentucky, West Virginia are going to look different. Imagine every oil slick nuclear waste burial site landfill removed. Uh, the parasites and pathologies that have wiped out like entire plants and species, they're just gone forever. So uh, hopefully those plants and animals will come back. Uh, climate change solved, whatever you believe about that. 
Chemical, physical, and noise pollution, all of it, just gone, done. Uh, the man-made asteroid belt of space trash, if you don't know about it, it's a thing. It's not going to be there anymore. Um, and, and we, God's children, we get to live here in that world. If you're a person that just like loves the land and like, if you're not just like press pause, come back to me in a second, but like I get excited about this. Like I love mountains and like lakes and dirt and stuff. Uh, so what are you going to do? Let's imagine this. Imagine you're living in this world made new. What are you going to do with your time? Um, we all have different passions and interests. For me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to uh, the Fitzroy Range in Patagonia, and I'm going to guide my friends and family up uh, Fitzroy, the peak, and watch the sunset from there. And then I'm going to go to North Carolina, this specific mountainside, and I'm going to plant a orchard of Kanzi apple trees. And then I'm going to go to this place in Nepal where there's like this really beautiful rock face that I saw one time, and I'm going to climb it. And then I'm going to go to um, the Baffin Bay, or I've always wanted to go there, and swim with the orcas. And then I'm going to like stop and have lunch, probably like three rolls of perfectly made sushi like I've never had before, and a delicious German Pilsner beer, and that's going to be my lunch. It's going to be awesome. And then I'm going to keep going. So like, I'm going to dream about that, because God tells me this, er this earth, this world is going to be made new. I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if I'm going to like literally do these actual things. I don't know if I'm going to want to. There might be something better to do. But he invites us to imagine it. So let's imagine it. I'm not saying that you can like dream it into existence and like if you kind of name it and claim it, it's going to happen for you. What I'm saying is that nothing you can imagine, nothing, the best thing you can imagine is not going to touch the goodness of what God actually brings about. So you might as well imagine big. Go big. Imagine the best thing you can. You're going to get closer to what God actually has for us, for his people. You're not going to top the goodness of God. He loves you. He loves this world. He never gave up on it, never gave up on you. And he's got, he's this father who has a rich birthright for us. That's why this passage talks about our inheritance, the what we inherit. Jesus bought this for us with his blood. So that's the first thing about this new life that we inherit. All right? A new playground, a new place to live. But what does he do to his people? What does he do to us? Second thing we see. The new you. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So this loud voice from the throne is Jesus. Remember the lamb is on the throne and he's saying, look what I accomplished for you. Look what I did for you. Look what I bought for you with my, with my blood. Now at the end of the world, as you knew it, this new earth brings the fulfillment of salvation that he, that he brought about for us. God will live with you, that perfect fellowship. He will wipe every tear from your eyes. The tears you don't even cry now, because you've learned, like me, to keep them back because you can't handle it, one day you'll be able to cry them and he will wipe them away from your eyes. And you're not going to cry anymore except for tears of joy. I can't wait for that. There will be no more death or pain, no more abuse or addiction, murder or manipulation, depression or distress, racism or repression, sin or sadness. No more. Just life with God like you were made for. For some of us, though, that's a little, like, thinking about that, a little tough, a little intimidating, even 
we don't want to spend five minutes on a ski lift with a stranger, really. So how are we going to want to spend eternity with this God that to some of us feels like a stranger? One time I was in Winter Park and um, they have like this really big gondola style, like glassed in ski lifts. So I hop on, I'm like in the solo line. There's seven other guys and it's like eight or seven or eight um, just like middle school boys, like 13 year old guys. And they're all pretending like they're 18. They're like cussing and smoking. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. Like make it to the top of the mountain and keep on going. And then they break out the fireball whiskey and start like taking shots. I'm like, guys, come on. And so like, it was fine. It was kind of funny. I felt kind of bad for them, whatever. But I, I like, I was glad when I got to reconnect with my friends and ride with them the next time. We may feel like a never ending life with God you know, especially those of us who, you know, you've never really had like this super emotional type, like close love kind of connection with God. Um, it, heaven may kind of sound like that chairlift, like this big chairlift in the sky where you just have to like kind of be with God for eternity with someone you don't really know. And this hesitation that we feel is evidence of this reality that on our own, our hearts are in rebellion against God. Like, yeah, life with God might not sound like a good thing to us. <laughs> People came, Jesus came to people like us to whom life with God actually doesn't necessarily sound like a good thing. And this continues to some extent, even if you're a Christian. Like there's parts of your heart that are opposed to God. I'm telling you, don't feel guilty. If you're like, heaven, I'm not sure if I really want you. But listen to this, guys. It is what you were made for. It's what you were made for. And when you get it, you will see, oh, this is what I was made for. Life with God is like finding treasure buried in a field and you get to keep it. Life with God is like walking into a tool shed and seeing an axe with your name carved on the handle. Life with God is like a cabin in the woods with a blazing fire and your best friends. Life with God is like a custom tailored suit that feels like it was made for you because it was. Life with God is like a drink of cold water to the very, very thirsty. That's what he says. Then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost and the spring of the water of life. And we're all thirsty. We saw last week, we've got that existential hunger and thirst. And we don't know it, but God is what we crave. We crave him. He's what we need, is what we want. And he's got what we need and what we want because he's it. We were made for him. So like mistreated orphans, wards of the state, we may shrink from the unfamiliar father that comes to visit, that invites us into his home. Yet his home is healing precisely because it's completely unlike anything we've ever experienced before. It's just not like the home that we have now. And that's actually a good thing. Like we want a better home, don't we? If there was a home worth imagining, wouldn't it be different than our home? Wouldn't it be unfamiliar and a little scary? It's what we see in God's word. It's a place where we will find healing, hope, wholeness, and joy because it's different. And that's what we see in this passage is this, this healing that we ourselves in the presence of God are made perfect. God's presence perfects us. Look again at the city. Okay, back in verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, a beautifully dressed for her husband. Remember last week, the wedding supper of the Lamb? The bride, that's the church. That's us. So then when this says uh, the bride is the city, it's saying this is another angle, another picture, the city on who we are. It's telling us about ourselves. It's not telling us, hey, heads up, like 
there's going to be a big weird city and it's going to physically come and plant itself on the earth. That's not the point. The point is it's telling you what you are going to be revealed as when Jesus comes back. Okay, so what are we like and what will we be like? Verse 9, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. First thing, your true character, who you truly are, is not wrapped up in the things that you've done, the mistakes that you've made, what other people say about you, the things you can't get out of your head about yourself. That's not where your true character is. It's actually hidden, untarnished, unspoiled, stainless steel in heaven with God. And it's going to come one day. And then you and everyone else will know. You'll be like, oh, that's who I am. Praise God. It's going to be a good day. What else do we see? Verses 12 through 14. The gates of the city, the foundations of the city, they have the names of the apostles and the tribes of Israel. What this is telling you is that being part of the church of God, when you're saved by Jesus, he saves you into a story which is much bigger than your story, which is kind of awesome. It started way before you. It's going to go on way after you. And it's a beautiful story. So like to be saved is to be given this story where you have a meaningful part and you have a meaningful part to play, but it's not all wrapped around you. It's not about you. It's about something bigger. That's actually really good news. Like a film that hides the larger story until the end, you know, and like at the very end, the last thing you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. This is what this is like. We will see like, oh, that's how, that's what God was doing. That's what he was like. That time in my life when I had no idea what was going on, that's okay. Now it makes sense. It's going to make sense. We're going to see the story. Verse 11, it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. You see more of this in verses 18 through 20, just talking about all these jewels and you know, beautiful things. City's a work of art. It's a masterpiece. This is how God sees you. We don't see ourselves as masterpieces. We have, we have voices in our heads telling us that we are worthless, trash, or we think we're awesome, right? But even the awesomeness we think we have pales in comparison to what God, God actually says about us, the way he actually sees us. Beautiful, a masterpiece. Shaped by a master gem cutter in the school of hard knocks into something more beautiful than we could ever be on our own. What's it going to be like, guys, to be perfected as a person? Right? I, a lot of us here, we have high standards. We like have big dreams of what we want to be and the virtues and the character traits and the abilities the relationships that we want to have, want to lead, what's it going to be like to actually become who you were meant to be? All your flaws rooted out and healed. All your strengths perfectly expressed, but you don't get arrogant, right? Enjoying like incredible ability. I, I hope I'm going to be a better climber in heaven. I think I'm going to be. I'm going to have a lot of time to practice, right? Incredible ability, whatever your thing is, but without like the pressure and the arrogance no more sin, temptation, addiction, depression, anxiety, just freedom, joy, delight in God and in who he made you to be. Just being at peace with yourself. Man, like come quickly, Jesus. I'm ready for this today. You could look in the mirror and say, I wouldn't have it any other way. This is who God made me and I love it. Real quick, I want you to see what's going on with the measurements that we saw in verse 16. Um, so the city, for the record, said 12,000 stadia. That's 13. 1,380 miles, 1,380 miles wide, long, and high. Pretty big. Size of Texas, cubic area of the moon, large city. Remember, it's not like a physical city. It's, just, it's big. So in some sense, the church, the people of God throughout history, big. Okay. But also notice the shape, right? Equal in width, height, 
and depth of the other measurement, right? It's a cube. It's a perfect cube. This is actually super cool. I don't have a lot of time to go into it. There's only three cubes in the Bible. The most holy place in the tabernacle, this old tent that was like where God's presence was when God's people were traveling and mobile. The most holy place in the temple in Jerusalem where God's presence was when they were not mobile and when they were established in like a specific land. Those are the only two other cubes. And then this one. So this is saying God's people, when they are revealed at the end of all things, when Christ comes back, we will see that the most holy place is no longer contained to a little tent or a little temple. It's actually gigantic, and it's everywhere where God's people are. It's worldwide. And finally, we will experience the presence of God everywhere we are because he's not going to be ashamed to be around with us, not going to be ashamed to be seen with us, not going to have a problem in our presence because we will be perfect even as he is perfect. Okay, all of that, some of you are like, okay, we've been to theory land for so long. What does this actually mean for like my life? What is my life going to be like? So what is, it, what is your life going to look like? What we actually see is this little passage I didn't read before, and it's the beginning of chapter 22. Okay, and it tells us that your life in the new earth is going to look like a new life in a new Garden of Eden. Back in Genesis 1 and 2, we saw the Garden of Eden. We see these parallels. So listen to these words. Then the angel showed me the river of a water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, down the middle of a great street of the city. On each side of the river stood this tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They'll see his face, his name will be on their foreheads, and they will reign forever and ever. So the Word of God is one story, Genesis to Revelation, one story. Word of God begins with a new world, ends with a world made new. Begins with new people in God's presence, ends with people made new by God's presence. There's a river here in Revelation, back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2, a river flowed out of, the, of Eden to water the garden. The Garden of Eden had a tree of life in it. In the middle of it, the city of Revelation had a tree of life in the middle of it for the healing of the nations. The parallelism is intentional. It's not telling us like the physical landscaping of the city, which after all, remember, is not a physical city. It's telling us about us. It's telling us what your lifestyle is going to be like when Jesus comes back. So what did God tell us to do in the Garden of Eden? What was our purpose? What was our life? Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So remember, we're made as God's image bearers to show the world with our lifestyles something of what God is, what he's like. Fruitfulness, multiplication, filling the earth. These reflect God's creative character. He makes stuff. So do we. In the Garden of Eden, made new, the new earth, we are going to be creative beings. We're going to make things. What are you going to make? This is good news if you're like into architecture and engineering and gardening and like the culinary arts and musical composition. I don't know, like dance. We're going to be doing the stuff that we were made to do. But it's not going to be frustrating anymore. It's not going to be stressful. We're not going to have to be able to like make a paycheck with it. We're just going to be able to do it freely. That's exciting. Okay, the other thing, subduing the earth and having dominion that God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to do, these reflect God's sustaining and ordering character as the king. Even in the new earth, we should expect things to be given to us to steward. Relationships, land, places, things. Remember Luke 19, we preached about it last semester. God gives those who are faithful with small things, like school assignments. 
he gives him even more to steward in the life to come. That's cool. That's cool, guys. New playground, new you, new life. This is what's new about the inheritance that Christ buys for us with his blood. So what do we do with this? This is the simplest application ever, guys. Easy, low challenge here. Imagine, imagine this. I want you to have a burning image in your head of like what that's going to be like. So spend time just thinking about this. Daydream about it. Fill out the picture of what you hope it's like. Picture yourself doing what you want to be doing in the new earth. Don't imagine clouds. Imagine clods of dirt that turn seeds into fruit trees. Don't imagine ethereal levitation. Imagine flesh and blood rootedness in this world like we've always longed for. Don't imagine escape. Imagine homecoming. Don't imagine golden streets. Imagine the road that leads to your favorite place in the world. Where is that for you? Don't imagine a sterile serenity on your face. Imagine laughing with your friends till your sides hurt. Don't imagine pearly gates. Imagine your best friend's front door. Imagine. Set your minds on this. There's this awesome quote that C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another world. You were made for this world made new. Dream about that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for promising us that something we can't wrap our heads around, something that we're not ready for, but something unimaginably good, Jesus. You promise us. You say this is your inheritance. So Jesus, lead us safely to that shore. Bring us to that place. Help us to follow you day by day and help us to imagine and dream about and long for and expect the beauty of the coming kingdom. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.